So uh, <coughs> I grew up in Minnesota, and um, in Minnesota there's a lot of ice fishing. Anybody grow up in a place where there's a lot of ice fishing? Yeah. Uh, so ice fishing, uh, you know, is obviously like fishing on the ice. You drill a hole. You go out into the middle of a lake and you drill a hole in the ice and you, you know, you sit in a little hut and kind of freeze to death and catch fish. It's fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I never quite understood it myself. Uh, I never, I've never been ice fishing. My dad really wasn't into it, and so we never ended up kind of doing any of that stuff. Um, and so I didn't really have any awareness of how this all worked, right? All I knew was, as a boy, was, you know, the, the, there's ice all over the surface of the lake. Um, but for me, like walking out as I was playing around, uh, there's tons of lakes in the little town I grew up in. And um, for me, walking around near those lakes was scary when there was ice on it, right? Because like I have these images of falling through the ice, you know, my parents grieving at my funeral. And, you know, like, you know, it's, uh, these, these are the images that, that come into my mind. And so, you know, playing out on the ice, I would kind of very carefully take a couple steps and I'd hear a sound and kind of, you know, run backwards. And so I remember this one time I was doing this and sort of like feeling like I was being pretty risky, you know, stepping out onto the ice. And uh, then I remember hearing this sound behind me. It was right on a, like a boat dock, a, a place where you can kind of put, it, put a boat in. I hear this sound behind me. It's this big truck. And this big truck just goes barreling past me, like, you know, out, out on the middle of the lake to go to, you know, to basically to go ice fishing, right? And so in that moment, I realized, oh, like my fear is misplaced here. Like, I, like I'm, I'm worried about falling through the ice, but this guy who owns this truck and is going out to his ice house, he knows something different about the ice, right? He knows the ice is thick enough to hold him. He trusts the ice to hold him, and so he doesn't have any problem just barreling out there onto the ice, whereas I'm, I'm not perceiving that. I'm not understanding that. I don't know that, and so I'm afraid, and I'm, I'm being very careful, but unnecessarily so. Um, Knowing what's real helps us navigate reality, right? Like knowing what's actually there would have helped me to not feel afraid, would have helped me to feel confident on the ice. It would have helped me. Um, seeing what's real makes all the difference. Um, I heard another story uh, this week. I was listening to a podcast, um, and uh, the story is about this thing called Fermi's Paradox. You guys ever heard of Fermi's Paradox? It's a physicist thing. I'd never heard of it either. Uh, there was a physicist named Fermi, and his paradox was this. If it's statistically, they've, they've calculated this. This is what physicists do. They've calculated this, that it's statistically very likely that there's life on other planets. Like, just math. The math of that is, like, very likely that there's life on other planets. And Fermi's paradox is this. They were sitting around, you know, talking, as physicists do, and wherever they get together and talk. And he basically said, if it's so statistically possible... Where is everybody? Like, where are the aliens? Why aren't they here? Right? And so this, this sounds weird to us because we're not physicists, but this is a real, it's a real issue. Like, it's a real problem in the, in the, in the world of physics. And so they're like, where is everybody? Why are, are, are we alone? And the, the, the whole podcast was about this one physicist who was thinking about Fermi's paradox, and he had this thought, and the thought was, was this, we're alone. There's nobody else out there. This is it. Earth. This, like, what's happening on Earth is like the height of life. And that's as, this is as good as it gets. And it was a really depressing thought for him. <laughs> right? It was a really... De and the whole podcast is about this guy, and his, he's asking people about this. He's like, isn't that sad? And people tell him, you know, 
no, it's not sad. That's dumb, you know, and, and all kinds of stuff. But the whole podcast was about this sort of existential crisis this physicist was having at the thought, are we alone? Are we alone? Knowing whether or not we're alone, like, that makes all the difference, right? So for Fermi, like, if we are alone, that's when the sadness hits this guy, this physicist, if we are alone. Um, another example this week for me <laughs> um, of, uh, and what I'm trying to get at here is this, uh, is, the, is the link between what we see as real and what actually is real. And whenever there's a disconnect there, there's problems that arise from that. Um, and so to bring it uh, more into the realm of faith, um, this week uh, I was doing a little budgeting. And we're, you know, we're, we're planting a church and we're starting a business and we're, you know, doing some other kind of work. And so our, our income fluctuates a bit, <laughs> which, uh, and our expenses do too, you know, doctor bills and things like that. And so this past month has been a, like a crazy month for us. And so I uh, was doing some budgeting and, um, you know, and, and sort of uh, I realized what was happening as I was budgeting was that this anxiety was growing in my heart as I was looking at the reality of our money situation. I was looking at it and thinking like, oh my gosh, what, like, what's the, how are we going to, you know, I was feeling this anxiety and I recognized this is kind of a normal thing for me. I never thought of myself as an anxious person and in general, I don't know that I am, but I was realizing that I was feeling this anxiety and what I feel like the Lord, it, I was realizing how easy it is for me to assume that I'm alone and that it's up to me to make something happen. Yeah? I got to kick into, you know, get it done mode. And so I, I just assume I'm alone. Like that's my, that's, I realize how quickly I default to that when I'm looking at money in particular, right? Um, and I feel like as I've, been, as I've been praying on these passages and as I've been meditating a, a little bit on this, uh, the ascension of Christ, I felt like what the Lord was uh, bringing to me was this word of saying, is that really what you believe? Because that, that's not what the ascension said. That's not what the ascension of Christ said. But you really, I, I was realizing, yeah, it's really easy for me to believe I'm alone and that it's all up to me. That it, it only gets as good as I can make it. Anybody relate to that? Yeah? <laughs> um, but today we proclaim this. We proclaim that we're not alone. Uh, and we proclaim that darkness doesn't have the last word because Jesus Christ has ascended as Lord of heaven and earth. So we want to talk about that a little bit. Why does, that, why does the ascension of Christ make it so that we're not alone and that darkness won't have the last word uh, or, or lack or sorrow or pain? Um, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I never understood the ascension as I was growing up. And so the ascension was sort of... Um, if I really was thinking about it, it was sort of like this awkward explanation for why Jesus wasn't here. You know, like if he's raised from the dead, like where is he? Can we go see him? No, he ascended. Well, what, what's that all about? I don't know. He went up into space and he's coming back later. Well, why? I don't know. You know, like that, that's kind of, that was kind of my uh, read on the ascension uh, when I was a kid. Uh, so we kind of hope he's coming back. And, it, and it's easy to read these gospel passages that we just read. And easy to imagine Jesus sort of floating up, right? Because it's, it's the ascension, right? What else could that mean? He's floating upward. And now he's up there someday. Uh, he's up there now, and he'll come down someday. And in the meantime, we're sort of like, I don't, I don't know. We're sort of waiting for something to happen. We go to church. We try to be good people. But what difference does the ascension make? What is that? And, and what does it actually mean? 
Um, and so we're, we're here to proclaim today that the ascension doesn't mean that uh, Jesus is absent. It means he has ascended, but that doesn't mean that he went vertically upward. It meant that he went to heaven, which we'll talk about where that is. What is heaven? Where is that? He went to heaven, and he rules and reigns now as king. It's not about absence. It's about ascendancy. It's coronation language. Jesus has ascended to the throne. He's been promoted to all authority. So uh, kids finished school this past week, right? Hooray? Right? You guys have all, I hope, been promoted, right, to the next grade level, right? Sydney's going into seventh grade. She is ascending to seventh grade. Maggie, you are ascending to being a sophomore in college, right? Like, we, that, that's the ascension language that, that's actually being proclaimed in the Gospels, is that Jesus has been promoted to all authority, now belongs to him. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he is Lord of heaven and earth. That's what that means. The right hand of the Father isn't a location, it's poetry. That means that Jesus has all authority, that he's the Lord of the cosmos, that he's the king of the universe. As Paul puts it in the, in the Ephesians passage, he's far above all rule and authority, dominion and power, every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul has a penchant for run-on sentences, if you haven't realized. He just sort of, he gets excited about it, and he just keeps, he doesn't care about punctuation at a certain point. He just sort of keeps talking. Um, but that is what he's getting caught up in. He's getting caught up in this glory that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning now. He's ruling and reigning now. He's Lord of heaven and earth now. And so the ascension means this. This is actually somewhat shocking for a lot of Christians, that a human being with a human body sits on the throne of heaven right now. Jesus Christ didn't leave his body. His body went to heaven. Does that make sense? So Jesus Christ, and here's the other mind-boggling thing, Jesus Christ will forever have a human body. God is forever enfleshed. We could probably end the sermon there and just think about that for a little while, right? The implications are staggering. A human being sits on the throne of heaven. Jesus Christ is currently reigning in heaven as a human being with a human body. So heaven and earth aren't two different locations within like the time-space continuum, within the physical universe. Heaven and earth are like two different dimensions of God's good creation. God created, in the beginning, what did God create? The heavens and the earth. There are these two dimensions, and if you've ever seen, um, has anybody ever seen Interstellar? Right? So there's a... There's, Sci-fi helps us have access to what's going on here. Heaven is a dimension of God's universe that, that is overlapping and intersecting with our dimension in, in mysterious ways, in many ways. And what we're headed for is the, is the full overlap of heaven and earth. When all that, all that is in heaven will be revealed and, will, and, and earth will be finally submitted under the lordship of heaven. Does that make sense? So in Interstellar, right, the, the, the guy is present Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, <laughs> but interstellar, he's present, but he's present in this different dimension. So he's present in this different way. And there's this, there's this the, the challenge is to bridge that gap. And that's the challenge for us as well. That's what heaven is. Heaven is a different dimension of God's good creation. And so what it means is that the one who is in heaven is, can be simultaneously anywhere and everywhere on earth. So that's why Christ has ascended, is because he's in heaven with a human body, 
His human body isn't limited now to what he could do when he was on earth. Now that he's in heaven, Jesus Christ and his presence can be anywhere and everywhere. So his presence has been unleashed, and we'll talk more about that next Sunday at Pentecost. The presence of Christ has been unleashed, and he's free. He can do things, right? We don't control his presence. We get to perceive it, and we get to participate in it. So that's the first implication, okay? So Jesus, he, he's ascended to heaven, which means he's everywhere present. The second implication is this. Heaven and earth work together like this. Heaven's kind of like the control room of earth. It's like the CEO's office, where the instructions come from. That's what heaven is like. And so Jesus has not only ascended so he can be everywhere present, but he's ascended to the CEO's office. And now he's giving the instructions. He's in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge of the universe. Hallelujah, right? Yeah, that's really good news. Because there's a lot of people who are in charge of things on earth that, you know, you worry. No more, I won't say anything else, but you worry, right? And, and, and this has been human history, right? There's no, we've, we've always thought we could get a human Messiah, somebody who's going to, like, deliver us and make everything right again. It never happens. So it's great news that not only is Jesus Christ everywhere present, but that he's present as king, that he's Lord of heaven and earth. That's essentially what the ascension means. That's what I want to proclaim today, is that in the midst of our worry about how things are going, in the midst of our pain and sorrow, in the midst of our anxiety about uh, money, in the midst of our arguments with our spouses, uh, in the midst of all of that, Jesus Christ is Lord and he's available. He's Lord of heaven and earth and he's available. There's no place where Christ is not and no place where he's not king. He's not waiting to become king. He is king. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And so we're called to rule and reign in that way, in the way of Jesus. And so that means violence and pragmatism that prioritizes one nation above another is idolatry. It's rebellion against the kingdom of God. And because Jesus Christ is in charge, all of that will eventually be brought to account in our lives and the things that we see around us. So what? How do we work this out? If it's true that Jesus Christ has ascended, how uh, and that is now ruling and reigning as a human being in heaven, which means he's everywhere present as king, how do we work that out? Um, there's two temptations that the church has traditionally fallen into when it comes to working out the ascension. The first temptation is to take charge, is to take over, is to assume that because Jesus Christ is in heaven that we're in charge now, right? And we get to say what happens. We get to boss people around and say, Here's what should happen now. The church has gotten into a tremendous amount of trouble uh, by doing that. Suffice it to say, we over-identify with Christ, if that's possible. Does that make sense? We assume that the church is Jesus. We over-identify, and we're assuming we're going to do things now for Jesus. That's why we try to avoid at the table any language that says that we're working for Jesus, because it implies Jesus is sort of just waiting for us to get busy and do things not that he's already at work. So that's the first temptation that, that the church has had, that I think we have. When it's time to get something ha- to happen in our homes, right? I admit my first temptation is to try to make it happen, make a good thing happen. Come on, kids, we're going like, to pray more regularly. I try to like, make that happen, right? Anyway, I see a lot of kids sort of like nodding knowingly. Right? We try to make, we try to make stuff happen. That's a mistake. Uh, and the second temptation that the church has had is that, they, is that we back off from any public involvement, and we just sort of assume we're just going to worship in private. 
and just assume God will work this all out. We under-identify, assuming that God's going to accomplish all of this without us. Right? So those are the two, those are the two things we want to bridge here. Instead, we, what we want to learn how to do is participate in the kingdom, which means the method of the kingdom matches the message of the kingdom. Our job, essentially, is to be the church. And Paul proclaims what that means. It means that we are, this is astonishing, the body of Christ is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. The church is called to be the fullness of Christ. We're called to participate uh, in this way. The kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven when the church, energized by the Spirit, we'll talk about that next week, is the fullness of Christ, becomes the fullness of Christ, goes out into the world in the way of Jesus, which is the way of suffering, which is the way of vulnerability, which is the way of praising and praying, uh, which is the way of being misunderstood and bearing with it. It's the way of celebrating and uh, standing with those who are most vulnerable. As Paul says, we always bear in our bodies the death of Christ. Why? So that we may also participate in the life of Christ. And so uh, we, do this in our, we do this in our bodies and in our speech. Um, and so we, we embody what God's rule and reign looks like. Uh, we cooperate with his presence in our lives. We participate with him in the healing and the renewal of our relationships. Uh, it means we submit to his lordship. Um, and the glorious truth of this is that he is actually present with us, empowering us to do these things. And then second, we're called to speak. We're called to be a prophetic witness. We're called to submit to the lordship of Christ in every situation. We're called to call others to submit to the lordship of Christ in every situation that we come into contact with. So we see, uh, we see, recon- we see relationships that are broken, and we say, be reconciled. Be reconciled. That's the kingdom, right? We see uh, the poor not having enough, and we say, provide for the poor. We see the vulnerable be ta- being taken advantage of, and we say, provide justice for the vulnerable. That's the way of the kingdom. And we, and we, we don't try to make those things happen, but we, call, we, we are heralds of, of the new king. We know, what's, we know what's really going on. We see that Christ is Lord. And so we call people to submit to his lordship. Does that make sense? We do it with gentleness, but we do it. We, we speak, we proclaim, give justice to the vulnerable, promote peace among the nations, promote peace in the neighborhood. That's how we embody the kingdom and how we proclaim it as well. I don't know if you guys heard the story of uh, the, the terrorist attack in Portland recently. There was also one in Egypt uh, where Coptic Christians were uh, shot to death on a bus. Awful, awful. Uh, and then uh, in Portland uh, as well, there's somebody who was threatening some Muslim women and two men uh, came to their aid, basically stood up for them. This is what I'm talking about. This is somebody saying, hey, don't take advantage of these marginalized, vulnerable people. And they paid for it with their lives. They were killed by this man. I don't know if he was a Christian. I don't know if these men were Christians. But that's what I'm talking about. That's speaking. That's standing with the vulnerable. That's standing with the marginalized. That's stepping into embodying the kingdom. That's trusting that Jesus Christ is Lord and that even if I pay for it with my life I know God's going to make everything right I know God's going to make everything right and here's, this is where it all comes back to seeing this is where we want to kind of land the plane here this is where it all comes back to seeing we can't really participate in this way unless we can see what's real unless we can see that Jesus Christ really is Lord he really is the king 
that he really is ascended. I was unnecessarily tentative because my ice eyes weren't as they should be. Does that make sense? So that, like Paul's talking about, I want your heart eyes to be lit up so you can see, so you can see what's real. My ice eyes weren't lit up. I couldn't see what's real. It meant I was filled with fear. I didn't need to be filled with fear, but I was. And so this is what Paul is praying in this Ephesians passage. We can't, unless we can see what's real in the ascension, we don't have confidence to embody and extend the rule of Christ. We will be filled with fear. We will worry and be filled with anxiety when it's time to do our budget. <laughs> we will, unless we see that the Lord is king, that Jesus Christ has, has ascended and that he's king. And this is what Paul's praying, that he's praying that the Ephesian believers would be able to see. And Paul prays we'll be able to see three things. Number one, the hope to which God has called us. So this means that we trust, that hope has to do with the future. So we trust that God's going to work everything out in accordance to his will. Despite the way things look now, we trust in hope that God is in charge, that he's going to call world leaders to account, that he's going to resolve injustice, and that he's going to do it in his way. We trust the hope to which he's called us. And the hope is not going to heaven when we die. The hope is that God will make all things new, that God will bring uh, the new heavens and the new earth. That's our hope. The second thing is this, the glorious riches of his, his inheritance in the saints, which is a fascinating phrase because what it's saying is like, what are the, the, Paul wants us to see the glorious riches of what? God's inheritance. And where does God's inheritance lie? It's in his saints. It's in the church. And so there's a sense in which when we perceive the ascension of Christ, what we're perceiving is God's glory in the church. That we can't, we realize, as Cyprian said, you can't have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. There's a sense in which we, as we participate together as a community, there's a fullness that we experience when we don't, we don't get that when we're just participating individually. And third, the third thing that Paul prays is that we would know the overwhelming greatness of God's power at work among us. So for, for us who trust him, hope is for the future, but this power is for the present. This power is for the present. It's available now because Jesus Christ has ascended. And so he is, because he is enfleshed forever, he is connected to us. We are in Christ. And so his power that he is exercising, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and, and seated him in the heavenly places, that power is now ours. It's actually ours. We're connected to everything that we need for life and godliness. That's the reality Paul wants us to open our eyes to, that we're actually connected to every provision we need. We're connected to all the power we need. We're connected to it. That Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, and his, it's like his power is emanating from him and flowing towards us at every moment, all the time. It's always flowing towards us. So the good news is all we have to do is wake up, open our eyes, open our hands, receive what God has done and what he is doing. It's power for transformation that we could become the kind of people that the world needs. It's constantly available to us. So I, wanna, I want us to just spend uh, a couple moments uh, in silence. And um, whatever it is that you brought with you today, uh, whether it's uh, sorrow, it's... Um, pain, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's frustration, it might be hope, it might be rejoicing, whatever it is that you brought with you today, um, I want you to imagine that, just, just holding it, just imagine holding it. Uh, and in silence, 
I'm going to pray that our eyes would be enlightened, that we'd be able to see Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over what that, whatever that situation is.